Alright, so 1 John 2.8 Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And we've been looking at this uh, new commandment that John mentions here in this passage. And um, the commandment to love one another is not new in time, so that's not not what he is not what he's really meaning but because Jesus Christ has come who is the light of the world which is the personification of love uh this commandment is now new in character it's 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 new in quality it's it's new in spirit because why because we're new creatures in Christ because of Jesus Christ um the darkness is past, it says here, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So the, the darkness has passed, that darkness that cannot comprehend this light, cannot comprehend this love. When you, re- when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that darkness went away. Whether you like to admit about it, admit it or not, or whether you experience that or not, that darkness went away because Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit uh, took up residence in your in your in, in your heart and your mind. And being a born again believer, we now have the light of life dwelling within us. And so uh, we now have we now are to operate under a new principle. So the new commandment is we already covered is the highest law. It's not simply one of many commandments, but it is, it is the highest commandment, the highest uh, commandment that we are to obey. In fact, there is no commandment higher than this one. All right? No commandment higher than this one. And also, it is the principle or the heartbeat of our faith. It is also the heartbeat of our faith. It's the key to our fellowship with God. It is our key to our fellowship with His Son. It's our key to our fellowship with others it's a principle it's a it's a way of life uh, that we as believers in jesus christ who have christ dwelling within us um, that should govern us that should um, that should uh, influence our way of thinking our attitudes everything about us should operate under this principle of the new commandment of love and then there's a third component uh, that we need to consider about this new commandment. Besides being the highest commandment or law, and besides being the principle by which we operate on, it is a new experience. So your word on your blank is experience. Is experience. So 1 John 2, verse 8, it says, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So it's a new experience. A new experience. So on your study guide, I don't know if you have this or not, uh, don't freak out. Your blank is a freak. Okay. Don't freak out about the word experience. I think it's worded this way in your study guide. First of all, don't allow the word experience to freak you out. All right, don't get freaked out about that. 
You know, I know there's a particular sect of um, Christianity that's all about experience. All right? Uh, But the Bible mentions experience, and experience is, and this is your blank, a profitable thing. Okay, so don't be afraid of experience. Because experience is a is a profitable thing. Back in August of 2019, Joe Biden, while campaigning for the presidency, uh, said in Iowa, he says, we choose truth over facts. I don't know if you remember him saying that. I thought that was kind of a funny thing to say. We choose, we choose truth over facts. And for a particular sect of Christianity, it is the experiences that prove out to be their truth in spite of the fact of what God's Word has to say on that. We always go to God's Word, right? We always go to God's Word. Uh, we find out what God's Word has to say about it. So an argument can be said that uh, experiences may not always be in accordance with the truth. Amen? Yeah. Because sometimes our emotions can fool us, sometimes our experiences can fool us. First uh, John three eighteen through nineteen says, "My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him." That's speaking of experience. That's speaking of experience. The word we see here in First John three eighteen as assure is also translated as confidence in Philippians one twenty five persuaded in second Timothy two twelve and trust in Hebrews thirteen sixteen. So that so that uh, observance of this new commandment can give you confidence. It can give you confidence. It can build up your trust. So when we obey God's word in deed and truth experience through this experience, we gain confidence through our obedience. So don't be afraid of experience. Don't be afraid of experience. Uh, the first mention of the word experience is found in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 27. I don't know if I have that on your study guide or not. But Genesis 30:27 says, And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. So on your study guide, Laban had learned from experience that the reason, is your blank, why he was so blessed, was because of God's hand on Jacob. Right? That's something that he learned by experience. It was made clear to Laban that the reason for his success, the reason why he was prospering, was due to Jacob's wise management of, of his goods, of his flocks, and also because God's hand was on Jacob's life. That's something that Laban learned through experience. Now, it's a shame that Laban didn't carry this lesson further to the profit of his soul, right? He remained an idolater, but it was something that he could see in Jacob's life that told him God's hand is on this man, and that's why, that's why I'm prospering. And that principle is still true today, guys. You know, wherever God's people are present and living in accordance to God's will, it will always prove a benefit to those who are associated with them. It always will. It always, it will always prove a benefit to those who are associated with him. Now some may, you know, claim no, it's for another reason. 
But no, we know what the real reason is because God's hand is on us and because God's hand us, we're going to be a blessing to those who are associated with us. That's just one of those biblical principles that have... I mean, Joseph is a prime example. Remember Joseph in the in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in Genesis? Uh, wherever Joseph, Joseph went, he, he blessed whomsoever he was associated with. All the way from Potiphar to Pharaoh. Because that is a biblical principle that does play out. And I mean, who among us in here hasn't had a godly friend... Who hasn't been a blessing to you? Just simply by knowing them, by associating with them? I mean, yeah, they, they, they're just such a blessing to you because of their example and because of their encouragement. Well, that's just, that's just true. And, and to be that kind of person, to know that you're that kind, you know, to be that kind of person that, that because of your relationship with God, your fellowship with God, that you're a blessing to others? I'd love to be that kind of person. I would love to be that kind of person. So that's a good experience, right? That's a good experience to be had. Um, the second time that the word experience is mentioned is in Ecclesiastes 1.16. In Ecclesiastes 1.16, Solomon writes, I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So Solomon experienced wisdom and knowledge about life under the sun. How? How? Well, through his Experience, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Through his experiences. Through his experiences. Ecclesiastes 1.13, he says, And I gave my heart to seek, out, to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Now we know the story, we know the testimony of Solomon, right? What did Solomon pray for to govern God's people? Wisdom, right? So God is the why he had wisdom, but Solomon didn't sit on this wisdom, did he? No, Solomon exercised that wisdom that God had blessed him with. Uh, God was pleased that he asked for wisdom in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, uh, verses, uh, verses 11 through 12, that he asked for wisdom. God was very pleased with that, but Solomon didn't sit on that wisdom. He used that wisdom that God gave him. He used that wisdom that God gave him. Uh, in 1 Kings 4.29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman. 
I'm having a hard time. And Calco and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all nations round about, and he spake three thousand proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five, and he spake of trees, from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes, and so forth. What, what was he doing with this wisdom? He was exercising this wisdom. He was exercising this wisdom. He was studying these things out. He was looking into these things. He was observing these things. You know, and I think a lot of God's people have got a mistaken notion about asking for wisdom. You know, James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. Let me tell you something. God... God will not sprinkle wisdom on you just for the asking if you do not exercise that wisdom and search out that wisdom. I mean, he's not going to pop open your brain case and pour wisdom in your mind. That's not how it works. But yet there are a lot of God's people who honestly believe that's how it works. But that's not how it works. James goes on and he says in verse 6, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Where does faith come from? There you go. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. So that should be a clue. Where is wisdom found? And who are they who are at risk of being tossed with the wind and the waves? Ephesians 4.14, they that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie awake deceived. Right? So if you don't go to God's word for his wisdom, guess what? You're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be tossed to and fro. And where is that wisdom to be found? Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when you pray for wisdom, don't just sit there on your derriere thinking that God's going to, you know, sprinkle this wisdom dust on you. No, you go to the source of wisdom while you're praying for wisdom, and you ask God to show you His wisdom. Does that make sense? Yeah, so on your study guide, as you read through Ecclesiastes, you will discover that Solomon put his hand to many things, and by these experience, he gained wisdom and knowledge. We do the same thing. We take what we learn from God's word and we put it into practice. And by putting it into practice, that's how we gain wisdom by our experiences in obeying God's word. So Solomon just didn't sit there, right? He exercised the wisdom that God had blessed him with. And this brings us to the third and final time the word experience is mentioned in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5. 
And not only so, but we glory in tribulations always. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Did you hear what that said? Right? Tribulations, patience, experience, hope. Alright? Let me ask you a question. When the Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road and he fell down in the dust... Is it that, is it at that moment that Jesus, that uh, Paul became the great apostle Paul, the greatest Christian ever lived? No. He was a changed man, without a doubt. But no. No, he was a new creature, without a doubt. But what made Paul the greatest Christian ever lived? Yeah, experience, ministry, service, obedience, tribulation, trial, right? Imprisonment, all of these things made Paul the man that Paul was. It's uh, estimated that Paul spent like six to ten years in Tarsus before Barnabas came and cut. Hey, Paul, why don't you come help us out? There's a new church here in Antioch, and we could really use you. See, when Paul had to flee for his life from Damascus, he went to Tarsus, and they believe that he stayed there in Tarsus for six to, to ten years. Also in Galatians, Paul, by his own testimony, said he spent, what, three years in the wilderness. So there was this time that God was working in Paul's heart, so Paul didn't immediately become the great apostle that we know he is and again I think there is a misunderstanding with a lot of believers you know they believe that you know they come to Jesus Christ and then all of a sudden everything is just going to be hunky dory and you're going to be you're going to be mature and all your problems are going to go away and well I've got some bad news for you that's not how it works that's not how it works God gives you these experiences and these situations and these circumstances uh, for the purpose of growing you up. Growing you up. Yeah. Yeah, that could go right along with that. Sure can. Uh, Philippians uh, 4.11, Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned... In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And it always ticks me off when you have those other Bible versions that take Christ out of that. Because mm-hmm. the only way you're going to be able to learn anything is through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But look what Paul learned. He learned contentment. How did he learn contentment? By being in need. Right? By being in need. By, not by sitting at a desk and reading the latest book on how to be content. 
No, he experienced it through his life experiences and being strengthened in Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He experienced hardship, he experienced deprivation, and all the while he was relying on God's grace. That's experience. That's that's experience. So don't be afraid of experiences. You know, some of God's people have this mistaken notion that if they just believe hard enough, then God will endow them with all of these virtues. That's not how it works. You have to go through things. You have to go through things depending upon God, letting Christ strengthen you, learning from his wisdom, from his book. And that's how these virtues are are brought about in your life. This is how that happens. That's how you grow. Same thing with love. 1 John 2, 5, But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Do you know how we learn to love? By loving. And by receiving love. By loving and by receiving love. So on your study guide. Uh, perhaps the greatest benefit from experience is to learn about God's love for us. And how we gain spiritually through all that we endure for the love of God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There are times that you're going to love somebody and they're not going to love you in return. Now, does that mean I stop loving? There are times you're going to love somebody and you're not going to get any recognition for that it's going to be taken for granted does that mean I stop loving yeah yeah it is it's easy to love the lovable it really is so on your study guide just as young people experience growing pains as their bodies mature we also experience spiritual growing pains through those circumstances in life that are often unpleasant and difficult. 1 Peter 2, 19-21, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your fault, ye take it patiently, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye, all, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. See, Jesus Christ has come to show us what this new commandment looks like. He's come also to help us live this new commandment. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he can even help us love um, when we're not loved in return. These difficult circumstances and these unpleasant people... um, Try looking at it from God working a work of grace in your heart rather than, well, that so-and-so, <laughs> that no good so-and-so, right? I mean, that's really, I, I, I'm not speaking for you, but, for, you know, speaking for me, you know, that's sometimes that's my first initial reaction. Well, that dirty so-and-so, 
instead of, okay, God, what can I learn from this? How can this better me? How can this make me more like you? You know, I recall watching a little boy on AFV. He was being interviewed by his teacher before um, a crowd of parents. And she asked the little boy what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he sat there and thought, and then all of a sudden he started breaking down crying. And he says, I don't ever want to grow up. (laughs) Man, I can relate. (laughs) But... We have to grow up. If we're going to be any use for God, if we're going to be any use for anybody, we're going to have to grow up. I was just talking to my wife in, in, you know, coming into church. There are things that we have to face personally for the sake of God's love for us and our love for, there are things that we have to put aside. Things that we have to put aside. Things that we need to deal personally with our own selves so that those things don't hinder us in our love for God and love for others. That doesn't hinder our fellowship with God. We all have these things that we have to contend with. You know, there are some of God's people who just simply refuse to grow up. They want to hang on to these Hurts and these past offenses. They want to hang on to these things that uh, will prevent them from growing up. They, they'll avoid uh, being involved. They'll uh, avoid being active. They'll, they'll avoid taking the necessary steps. Hey, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not a super saint, you know? I'm speaking from experience. And I, th- I don't think I'm the only one in this room that isn't dealing with things. So on your study guide, something else about this uh, experience is uh, being born again is a new experience. We are new creatures in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Can you remember when you were first saved? I can. I was really excited. I was really excited about it. I don't think there was anybody that passed by me that I wasn't telling them about it. But what happens... What happens? Now, some of us, we don't lose that. But some of us, we do. Some of us, we do. On your study guide, what the law could not accomplish, or keeping the law could never accomplish, Christ has accomplished for us. What the law could not accomplish, or keeping the law could never accomplish, Christ has accomplished for us. Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. We're all new creatures in Christ. So on your study guide, by a spiritual circumcision, performed by God, we are now alive unto God like no other before us and like no other after us. In Colossians uh, 2, 9 through 15, I'm not going to go through this, but I'm not going to read this passage, but the point is this. 
There never has been and never will be someone like you. A new creature in Jesus Christ. You understand that? The Christian, born-again Christian, is a unique creation of God. And there will never, there never was and there never be anything like us. Again. Now that's something. I'm telling you, that is something. That is something. And so because of that, this new commandment is, should, is a, a new principle. This new commandment, we can obey this highest law. And this new commandment is a great experience as being believers, as being sons of God. As being sons of God. Now, again, there are those who are jealous of the bride of Christ. There are those who are jealous and they seek to seduce us away from the Father. They seek to seduce us away from just like serpent deceived Eve in the garden, they're going about trying to deceive us. And that's what we need to be mindful of. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They want to take that joy of fellowship away from you. That's why I keep saying, be jealous of that fellowship with God. Be jealous of that. Don't let anybody take that away from you. That's why he writes here in 1 John 2.26, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Even in the matter of the new commandment. So on your study guide, I think it's next to a picture of a broken heart. There are two things that religious people are adept at at faking, and these two things are what the Bible tells us not to fake, faith and love. So two things, faith and love. The Bible is very clear, we are not to fake faith and love. 2 Corinthians 6.6 By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness... By the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. First Timothy one five. Now the end of the commandment is, is, a, is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Second Timothy one five. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, and then one more. First Peter one twenty two. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love uh, one another with a pure heart fervently, and so forth and so on. So those are two things that we are not to fake. Other uses of the word unfeigned uh, found in your Bible is like Romans 12.9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So on your study guide, according to Vance's book on archaic words of the KJV, and if you're a Bible student, 
and you don't have this particular book in your library, I would highly recommend it. No, no. Vance's book on archaic words with the KJV. I don't know if we sell it in our in our resource center or not, but that's a good book to add for uh, for your uh, resources. Anyway, the word the simulation is duplicity, hypocrisy, or deception. Now you may have already known that, but duplicity is your blank hypocrisy or deception. The very quality that John addressed there in First John one. 6 through 10, right? Don't play a game with God. Don't, don't try to be, you know, don't try to be this and that. Be sincere in your faith. The same thing with, with what John is talking about here. We are to shun hypocrisy. We are to shun duplicity. We are to shun deception in the Christian life. Right? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the... Yeah. So we are to shun that duplicity. When James was talking about wisdom coming from God, he said in James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. This wisdom that comes from above is truth. It's truth. It's without duplicity, without hypocrisy, without deception. Uh, Judas Iscariot is probably the greatest example of someone that is, uh, had fake faith and fake love. Fake faith and fake love. I mean, he was right there when, when, uh, Peter proclaimed, um, in John chapter 6, you know, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and assure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was right there when Peter said that. And Jesus said, you know, God showed you that, and one of you is the devil. And he didn't fool Jesus. Then in the garden, how did Judas betray Jesus? What did he do? He gave him a kiss. Isn't that a token of love? Isn't that a token of love? Fake faith, fake love. And we believers are really good at that. We can be really good at that. I don't think I want to be like a Judas. I don't think I want to be like a Judas. So on your study guide, fake faith will get a person damned, while fake love will cause a person to be despised. I hate, that's a strong word, (laughs) I'm going to use it anyway, I hate phonies. I do. I hate I hate phonies who come up and oh I love 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 you and then they turn around and stick you in the back. I just I just 
Fake faith is saying one thing and, and doing another, and fake love is is doing something with an ulterior motive. That's why Proverbs says, beware of the flatterer. Because you know why they're flattering you? They want something. They want something. And how many young people have surrendered their chastity and their fidelity to those who profess the fake love? on your study guide the experiential part of this truth is in our attitude and behavior towards one another attitude and behavior 1 John 2 9 says he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now he that saith one thing and does another thing that's what that's hypocrisy that's hypocrisy. Just like we read in in uh, chapter one of of of, of um, First John, you know, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. First <clears throat> John two ten, he says, "He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him." But he that hateth his brothers in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So on your study guide, I don't know if I've got this in here, uh, can love and hate abide at the same time in the same heart? According to John, no. Just as light and darkness cannot coexist, is your blank. So also hate and love cannot abide together. You cannot hate and love a person at the same time. Hmm. On your study guide, once again, we see the contrasts of light and darkness. Where hate abides, love cannot, and where love abides, hate cannot. Where there is that love, if it's in your heart, then you can't hate. But if there is hate, in turn, you cannot love. The same concept is seen in 1 John 2.15 that we'll study. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. It just will not work. And we'll study about that when we get there. So on your study guide, according to John's reckoning, the human heart can only be occupied by light or by darkness. Love or hatred. And it is not designed to operate under both. Our heart is not designed to operate under both. On your study guide, it is singleness of heart that the Lord looks for among his disciples. Matthew 6.22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Acts 2.46 says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Ephesians 6.5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Colossians 3.22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as mean pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Singleness of heart is what God looks for. So on your study guide, singleness of heart is a heart free from pretense or hypocrisy. Pretense. It is a sincere heart open and free from duplicity. 1 John 1, seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin. See, when the human heart tries to operate under both light and darkness or love and hate, that's when you get yourself in trouble. It causes a lot of confusion. It causes a lot of drama for yourself as well as for those that you associate with. He says here in verse John 2.10, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Notice, and hateth his brother. You know who he's talking about here? He's not talking about lost people, folks. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about you and me who know better, but don't do better. Um, when the Lord um, was addressing the Laodicean church, he said in Revelation 3.15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. He says, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So on your study guide, Duplicity of heart brings about a double-mindedness and instability in matters of faith and love and fellowship with God who is light. Just like James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Why is that? Because you're conflicted. You're conflicted. It brings instability to your walk. It brings instability in your relationship with others because you're conflicted. You're conflicted. And that's what's being addressed here in this passage in 1 John, dealing with believers, not lost, with believers. Because you know as well as I do, folks, that there's always, no, I shouldn't say always, that sometimes there's this turmoil that occurs in our hearts because of what so-and-so said or didn't say. or And so we have this conflict in our hearts. And when you let the darkness prevail, right, the light can't abide. But when you let the light prevail, then the darkness can't provide. Same thing with love and hate. So on your study guide, 
First John 2.10 says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is not occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So on your study guide, when one loves, they abide in the light that God is, for God is love. And then, when one hates, they are in darkness. For hate is contrary to God who is love. We're not talking about loss of salvation. We're talking about attitude of heart. Paul exhorts in Romans 14, 13, he says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Verse 15 of chapter 14 of Romans, he says, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. So the reason why I, I, I quote those scriptures is because sometimes our motivation towards our brothers and sisters is not very good. You know, we, we don't want to grieve our brother or sister. And the way we don't grieve our brother and sister is to treat them charitably, to be loving, to be loving. And that sometimes requires us to lay something aside that's important to us in order for the greater good of another. So on your study guide, there's a man tripping. But when we deceive ourselves and play this little mind game about being in fellowship with God, yet we hate our brother, this is a stumbling block we place in our own hearts that trip us up. And that's what he's talking about here. It's those obstacles that we place in our own hearts because we refuse to abide by this principle of loving one another. The great commandment. This grieves the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in our hearts. So on your study guide, claiming to be right with God when you're not right with a brother or sister is vain boasting. Vain boasting. To claim to have spiritual enlightenment about God's word and yet live contrary to its most basic tenets of love and righteousness is no different than the boasting of the individual in First John 1 6 if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth it's a contradiction in your life that causes you to stumble it causes you to stumble that's what he means by there's no stumbling Or no offense. That's the stumble. So on your study guide, when governed by love, yielded to the Holy Spirit in accordance to his word, we will not fall prey to the temptation of duplicity against our brother. So not that we won't stumble, we just do it. Oh, we will stumble, I'm, you know, but we, that's why we have First John 1, 9. And the important thing is don't remain in that darkness. Yeah. Yeah, there are people who, yeah, they just don't want to deal with it. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. We have to deal with these things if we want to grow up. I mean, it, it, we have to abide in the light that God is. We have to love as, as God loves us. In other words, we're going to stumble in our walk. We're going to fall. 
It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Um, it says here in, in, in uh, verse 10, he says, He that loveth his brother abideth in light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. That word stumbling is kind of an interesting word. It's the Greek word scandalon. Scandalon. Where we get the word scandal. Yeah. That's where we get the English word for scandal. And this word was used to describe the trigger to a trap. You ever set a mouse trap? And that little piece of metal? Yeah, that's a scandalon. That's a scandalon. And when that mechanism is disturbed, snap. You've got your prey. Right? Well, guess what? We carry that around in us. If we do not walk in the light as he is in the light, that we don't love as he loves, when we start harboring these unloving attitudes, we're setting a trap in our own heart. We're setting a trap in our own heart. I mean, think of it. How many scandals and how much drama could be avoided if God's people would simply obey this commandment of loving one another? And, you know, sometimes we point the finger at them, you know, blah, blah, blah. But who's the, the real trap, the real snare you're setting in your own heart? Because you're putting your foot in that snare and you're not able to advance in your walk with God. Because you're not dealing with this issue that is preventing you from fulfilling this commandment. And I know a lot of us don't like to hear this, but really the fault lies with who? Yeah, us. We have to deal with ourselves first. I know I've said this before. I don't have any control over other people. And that's frustrating sometimes when you're in the position of a counselor. Linda, you might relate to this. You know, you give somebody good counsel. I mean, good, solid counsel. If they were to abide by that counsel, it would help them, but they don't. Don't you wish sometimes you had the power to... Yeah, the only person you really have any power over in changing is yourself. Really. You're the one that has to pull your foot out of the noose that you've set for yourself. And again, the question is, who's on the throne of your heart? Who's on the throne of your heart? Who's, who's really in charge? 1 John 2.11 says, But he that hateth his brothers in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. You see, if hatred abides in your heart, then that is a blindness that you're afflicting yourself with. That's a self-inflicted blindness. And because of that self-inflicted blindness, that's why you're stumbling and tripping in your walk with God. Yeah, because you can't, you either refuse to see those issues 
or you refuse to deal with those issues, so you walk around purposely covering your eyes and failing to deal with the real issue. And that real issue, whether you like to hear this or not, always begins right here. Always. Always. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Let the Lord ponder the heart. And what he reveals to you, then be wise and do what he tells you is the right thing to do. So on your study guide. The worst, uh, the worst form of deception is what kind of deception? Self-deception. Isn't that right? That's the worst form of deception is self-deception. Uh, when we convince ourselves that we're right and we're not, then that's the blindness. That's inflicted, that's self-inflicted blindness. So on your study guide. In this kind of person's mind, in their minds, the hateful always appear to be right. The unforgiving always have just cause to never forgive. The vengeful are always just in meeting out their vengeance on others. And the unkind always vindicated for being mean to others. Isn't that true? But that's a blindness. That's a self-inflicted blindness. And these types who refuse to deal with these issues will remain in this darkness. A darkness of their own making. That's why we dealt so much with 1 John uh, 1, 6-10 in being sincere, being, re- being real, being honest with God first in your fellowship with God. Because in being honest with God, we'll remove the blindfolds and the stumbling blocks that we set there in our own way. Does that make sense? And the key to all of this is what John said in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. Which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. We have Christ Jesus living in us. So there's no excuse, but we are guaranteed the victory. So the last thing, being the children of God, having passed from darkness to light, being anointed by the spirit of truth, which is the Spirit of Christ. We are now empowered and enabled to operate by a new internal law by which we are to govern our lives. This new commandment is true in us because it is true in Him, the one that is truth and light that now dwells in us. Did we get all those blanks? There was a bunch of them. But he or she who resists this truth about themselves, no, they're not in danger of salvation, but they are seriously impeding their growth in Christ as well as their fellowship, the joy of their fellowship with God. 
Amen.